Welcome to 50 Date Night Screams. I'm Amber Tresca. And I'm Mike Tresca. We're a married couple who decide to celebrate our 50th birthdays by watching some old movies. A lot of old movies. Join us as we watch 50 movies on our date nights and have fun dissecting them. As a bonus, each episode is accompanied by an original character I created and designed for use in your tabletop role-playing games. Many of the movies we watch are unrated, but this podcast is not. 50 Date Night Screams contains mature themes and is intended for adult audiences, so take care when listening. Plus, there are spoilers. Check the show notes to see where you can watch this movie before you listen. We're glad you're here. Have a seat, grab a glass of your favorite beverage, and get ready to scream along with us. I'm very distressed. All right. I don't understand what happened. Nothing. It's my fault, really. I saw this little dog in the middle of the... Come. Get in the car. I'll drive you home. Uh, Really, it isn't necessary. I live nearby. Please. It's the least I can do after the shock I've given you. I won't take no for an answer. All right. Welcome to episode 20 of 50 Date Night Screams. Our movie is Kiss Me, Kill Me, or Baba Yaga, or maybe something else it might be called, depending on where you see this movie and what version of it you see. All right, I'm here with my co-host, Mike. Hey, Mike, what's going on? Hey, Amber. This is different. (laughs) It is. Um, I really don't know where we're going to go with this discussion. Uh, Let's talk uh, content warnings before we start. What are the content warnings? Doll abuse. (laughs) Murder with pins. Um, Fear of holes. It's a very adult movie. I would say that much. Like, they all are. But this one, I think, is more, I don't know, I think I would use the word erotic or sensual. So if that's not your thing, then you might not want to watch this movie or listen to this episode (laughs) and we will catch you on the next one. Yeah, this this tries really hard to be sexy. (laughs) I mean, all right, well... Let's get started. So (laughs) this movie is from 1973. By the way, it is super 70s. I just need to say that. Yeah, it's pretty 70s. I actually at times felt like it was a little 60s. Yeah. It is early 70s. -hmm. It is in Italy. It's an Italian film. The director was Corrado Farina, I think. It has a 5.7 out of 10 on IMDb. This is both higher than many of the movies that we discuss. It is also lower than I would have expected because this movie does have quite a following. If you watch it on the YouTubes, which I did watch it a second time on the YouTubes, it is blurred in parts over... (laughs) There's only female nudity in this movie, I think. I don't think there's any male nudity And it is blurred, but it's kind of hilarious because it's still very clear that there are uh, 
naked women <laughs> behind the blur. Finally, a movie that delivers on the promise of naked women. <laughs> well, there's not too many that don't. Um, all right. It is one hour and 29 minutes long. From some of the research I did, it was supposed to be longer. Apparently, the director left to go either whatever the story is, go on vacation, whatever he was doing. And when he came back, they had edited it down from what he wanted. They said it was too slow. That is probably the truth. But the thing is, is that they cut out actually a lot more nudity that was in it originally. There there are some additions, I think notably the Blu-ray, that has restored some of that. But you won't find that on the YouTube version. The YouTube version and the version that we watched on our 50 movie disc set were pretty much equivalent. They were pretty much the same. Okay, so the summary, the quick summary, one-line summary. A photographer finds herself falling under the spell of a witch. You could go almost anywhere. It's not wrong. No. But you could go almost anywhere with that. Yeah, that's super (laughs) generic, but okay. All right. All right. Touche movie summary person. I don't know. I always think how I would phrase it. I'm like, "Eh, that's kind of, yeah, I I guess that's what it is. This person's 20 movies in. It was like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's good. It's <laughs> good, good enough. We just need, you know, like 10 words. Okay. Yeah. All right. The movie opens with a credit scene, which is inspired by a comic. It is in black and white. And then you're going back and forth between that and then people riding motorcycles and then people at a party. So it's kind of starting out sort of level setting in that way. And on on a second viewing... I was I caught that the comic essentially tells the story of the film, which when you're just watching it as a credit sequence, you're probably not even going to pick it up. Even even the first time watching it, it wasn't like, oh, that was in the beginning credits. Like, I didn't get that at all. But on a second viewing, I did. Yes. And this film is a tribute to Guido Crepax. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right. Uh, who is a semi-famous artist. I think a lot of his work may have been in heavy metal or sort of underground comics at the time, uh, to the point the director made sort of a documentary about his work and felt like he was going to make the best film from Krupax's movie, from comics ever, on screen. So Krupax is in that party, right? He's there sort of showing his comic or something. I don't know, there's some kind of dialogue where he sort of is in. There's so much fanboying about Krupax in this. It's quite amusing and, again, probably... Largely foreign to an audience that's not familiar with his work. Yeah, I think a lot of that was lost on us. Yeah. But what happens is is the everything converges when the people riding the motorcycles show up at this party. Mm-hmm. And that's where we meet the main character of the film. She's a photographer. Her name is Valentina. And at that point, we find out that they're in Milan. So party, they're leaving the party. Valentina gets a ride home from a boyfriend and she, I don't even know why she gets out of the car. It wasn't, didn't seem like they had an argument or something. She just like, they start pull over the car and she gets out of the car. Well, it was implied she didn't want to have sex with him. Yeah. I mean, she gets out of the car and she says, I don't feel like having sex with you and I'm going to walk home alone. And he's like, it's a, it's a long way. And it's like three in the morning. And she's like, whatever. This sounds familiar. Another Italian city where women walk home alone for no reason whatsoever and weird things happen. Yes, yes. And let me just say 
the correct response to this behavior from her, he should have said, that's fine. I will walk five paces behind you or whatever. And then the driver of the car will meet this. There was a third person. The driver of the car will, will meet us at your house. Like that would have been the correct response. There was definitely a comment about it was tight quarters because it was these little Italian cars, I guess. But still, she obviously made it a certain distance. I don't know what how uncomfortable it was, but it feels like something maybe was cut out. Who knows? Look, she was she's a little itty bitty person, the actress. I have ridden more than once in someone's lap on a sports car. It's really not that big of a deal. Between that and walking home alone in the dark, yeah, you take the sports car. Yeah. Anyway, they have to do this because what happens is, is that Valentina's walking home. She gets hit by a car. So this glamorous blonde woman who speaks English gets out of the car, says her name is Baba Yaga, and then she says our our meeting was preordained. She uses that word, preordained. Baba Yaga drives Valentina home and inexplicably, like, pulls a garter belt clip from Valentina says, I need this. I'm going to need this. She, like, puts it in her mouth. And it's a little wild. Starts getting a little... <laughs> Already, we're, we're getting into it here. And knowing the movie was called Baba Yaga, like, I knew that. But then seeing this part of it, I'm like, why... Like, why is this character called Baba Yaga? And does this make any sense? And Mike, you probably have to give some background on your own <laughs> personal, very personal <laughs> knowledge of, of Baba Yaga. And the it's myth so of Baba fascinating. Yaga. So Baba Yaga is a Slavic folklore figure. Uh, she's usually a witch. She's part of the prototype of the witch, frankly, in America, where, so the idea of this hook nose kind of flying around, uh, eating children kind of thing. That That's your Baba Yaga. Now, Baba Yaga is known for having a dancing hut. It's a hut that has one, two, three legs, chicken legs. And she has this hut that she lives in. And she's also known for flying around in a mortar and pestle. No good reason for this other than it's part of the folklore. That she has this very big tub and she pulls herself along. Depending on the origin of the folklore you use, she has daughters. She's part of the sun and night cycle. Um, sometimes she has two sisters. There's three of them, which is typical in Russian folklore. I know this because I've written two different adventures for Dungeons and Dragons that were very specifically using Baba Yaga as a character. And I also incorporated her into my novels uh, as Mama Yaga. No one uses the name correctly. Uh, modern folks probably know Baba Yaga from John Wick, which outrageously abuses it to mean that it's a boogeyman phrase. That is not the I mean, she could be used as a boogeyman, doesn't, but they are implying that basically if you just call someone a Baba Yaga, it's like calling them boogeyman. It's got the B sound, and that's not the case. I think here they're trying to uh, essentially cast her as an older witch. That's probably as much as they're willing to sort of make the parallel. Um, maybe you could look at her vehicle as sort of her, her mortar and pestle as she's pulling along. But everything else is definitely an invention of Creepax. So this supposedly follows his comic. There's a comic. I actually looked for it far and wide. You, have, I, you know, it, it's a sort of an underground comic to begin with. It's not something you can just sort of easily find. But there are occasionally pictures of it. And I bet you the DVD actually probably has it. But so it, it, my understanding is it follows a lot of this pretty closely. 
And of course, Creepax would have used this and taken artistic license because it wasn't really about Baba Yaga to begin with. That's a character. It's really about our main character. Um, what's her name? Valentina. Right. Yeah. And it's hilarious. The actress that plays Baba Yaga is 40. She's 40 years <laughs> and old. And I have crumbled to dust. Right? And several of the reviews, opinion pieces that I looked at talked about the actress as, you know, former beauty queen, former whatever, bombshell, whatever they called her. And I'm just like, she's 40. And, you know, you could say that that was middle-aged. I'll give you that. But she's still really beautiful. So it's not... The Baba Yaga of obviously a much older elderly woman. This this woman is still young and good looking, I say, sitting here at my ripe old age of 50. So, all right. You're still hot, baby. Ah, thank you. Last night you said our meeting was preordained. Preordained by whom? There are forces which control our actions and our feelings. What forces? It is too soon, Valentina. So, Valentina goes home. She has dreams. She dreams about Nazis. All right? <laughs> this well, is the other thing, though. Like, <laughs> and I think this is a Creepax moment. It certainly fascism is a point in Italy, right? So, again, my own Italian heritage, I'm sensitive to this point, which is, at the time, this is 73, maybe it was filmed earlier, this is still a big deal. So it's maybe not as bizarre in an Italian film as it might be in an American film, but there's definitely a S&M fascism, political, sexual spectrum of discussion that we're probably not fully versed in to understand it. Because otherwise it just seems very egregious and sort of kind of rammed in there. And you're like, why is, why is this happening? Um, but it does, there's a little bit of comments about fascism throughout the film, and I think there's some statements being made about it. So that's why there's Nazis. That's my only statement about that. Yeah, I, there's definitely some context here that I don't fully understand, even when I tried to. Um, I never quite got there. Probably should have put a content warning at the top of the show that there are, there's going to be some discussion of Nazis and the political climate of that time. Uh, as this movie goes on. So, all right, in this dream, she's naked. The Nazis force her to jump into a pit. So, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I don't know. Whose dreams do? Thankfully, I n- have never had dreams about Nazis. All right. The uh, the pit does come back around. So, th- this is one of the few things that, once you see the film, yeah, uh, but that on the part first makes time a little through. sense. Yeah. But, yeah, in the first, you're like, what the hell's going on? And it's not, it's very subtle. Like, at one point, she remembers that she fell in the pit in her dream. Like, it's not quite linear. Right. So, it's like a flashback scene of falling into a pit. And you're like, oh, they made her f- jump into the pit? I don't know. Yeah. All right. So, the next morning, she's woken up because somebody's banging at her door because she's a photographer. And a model is showing up at her apartment, which also doubles as her studio. She's supposed to be doing a shoot. So Valentina has a lot of comic books around. They show her looking at them, and it kind of seems to imply that her dreams may have been influenced by some of the comics that she has. Clearly, um, 
She owns a lot of art, art books, things like this, probably using them for inspiration because she's a photographer. So her photography, she takes commercial jobs, but she also does like very art artistic hot couture costumes. Her models are usually topless, the women, um, the men too, actually, the one yeah. male model he is, I guess you could technically say he's topless. So they're showing this photo shoot, but Valentina is is um, clearly distracted during it. So th this is, again, where the eroticism comes into play because the photography is very sexual. The costuming is as well. And it just, it does seem like, the model and the photographer are trying to push some boundaries, but honestly, are naked women pushing any kind of boundaries? I, like, I don't, I don't really think so. Like, if you pick up any high fashion magazine, um, but anyway, that's that seems to be the kind of things that they're shooting. Like, these are not this is not like clothing that people are going to wear. This is not commercial stuff. It's more art. Yeah, and there's there's definitely a running thread here about loss of self, right? Be it through photography or in dreams or relationships where Valentina's sort of agency is constantly threatened by these other forces at work, which later there's some philosophizing about how it's like, it's, you know, no one has any say in what, who they are and who they become. So there's a little bit of that. And I think the photography is meant to represent how little control, even though she thinks she's in control, that she's taking the photos that um, in some ways, maybe they're, subservient to the political climate, the needs of the photographer. Certainly her boyfriend, as we'll see, has his own sort of challenges in doing uh, his work. But I think there's, a, there's an implication in, as part of all this that essentially no one's really in control of who they are. That, I, that sense of self and identity is defined by everybody else, which is, I think, supposed to be horrifying is, is some of the points here. But I'm not sure if it comes through. Um, it does come through as 70s sexy without, ironically, not being that sexy. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a slightly bloodless kind of shoots, in my opinion. It wasn't super jazzy, but it is 70s. Definitely a 70s vibe. Right. So at this point, Baba Yaga shows up at, at Valentina's studio. She gives her back this garter clip that she stole from her the night before she actually tries to put it back on Valentina, which is really weird because Valentina's like wearing pants. She's like, I'm not wearing a garter belt right now. It was like, like that was a little odd. So Baba Yaga's interested in Valentina's camera and goes around the studio. She's touching things, just generally behaving in a very sort of sensual way. Um, and then she leaves Valentina her address. So she leaves. Valentina's boyfriend calls and says, hey, I'm shooting some film. Come down and see what I'm doing. She does. They're in a really wild, like completely rundown part of Milan. The boyfriend catches a rat, like in some standing water. <laughs> and they're they're filming. He's got a film crew there. Valentina's taking some, some stills, um, which is probably what he wanted her to do again. Like, hey, come down and hang out with us. But really, you know, bring your camera and take photos of what I'm doing. Again, loss of agency. So um, the film camera malfunctions as Valentina's thinking about Baba Yaga and being distracted by that. And then Valentina and the boyfriend go back to her place. Baba Yaga is outside in her car watching them. 
And Bobby Yaga is like the sexiest thing in this, right? So whenever she shows up, without doing a whole lot, it definitely just oozes sexuality. Where sort of like, ironically, the people sort of taking their new, new you know, topless photos, you're like, okay. Um, but it is sort of an interesting dichotomy where, and by the way, so part of the folklore of Baba Yaga is accepting gifts. So one of the things you're not supposed to do is accept a gift from her. Um, because if you get it back, she, basically once you give, once she gives you something, you have to give her something back. And that if, you, if she doesn't like the way it's given back, she can eat you, take your soul, whatever. And I think there's definitely this implication that Baba Yaga is looking to make an exchange. It's got sexual undertones or overtones, depending, I guess, on your perspective of it. But it's definitely there's an attempt to make an exchange and it's not working. Like she's trying to be like, here's your garter belt back, uh, clip back. And Valentina doesn't really take it and doesn't quite fall for it. So she's trying these different avenues to get Valentina indebted to her through this exchange. But it hasn't happened yet. So she's going to keep trying and stalking her from her car, I guess. Yeah, and it's at this point that Valentina and the boyfriend are talking about uh, censorship of their art. And Valentina is saying to him, well, you can push boundaries and you need to push boundaries and have your art seen by a lot of people. And he's like, that's not how this all works. I can push boundaries, but then only a small amount of people will, will see this work. And she's like, well... Then you're only letting like, you know, elite intellectuals see it. And that's not how it should be. And he's like, I know that's not how it should be, but that's how it is. You know, so they definitely have a difference of of philosophy. And it's a surprisingly modern conversation that every yes. streamer has today, right? When we have it. We've, we've actually almost literally had this conversation with a few different people about, you know, do you turn down certain opportunities just because they give you lots of publicity while maintaining your integrity? And that's essentially what they're discussing and it's still relevant today um but it is interesting in the contrast between her work and his work right he's filming rats and she's filming naked people and does one is one better than the other uh and i think there's an attempt to sort of put the two in contrast i, I we don't know but we know there's something weird with her camera and baba yaga sort of in the middle of this uh which i think becomes relevant later it's certainly something about the eye of the beholder right and again talking about agency and who gets to say what happens to who uh and who's on what side of the camera too right so valentina does decide that she wants to be with the boyfriend so they spend the night together and we see it it's very arty it's a series of still images interspersed with comic book pages and then the live action of the two of them in bed and then the next morning, again, knock on the door. It's a model who's like, hello, <laughs> we're supposed to be doing a shoot. And which is also I find kind of funny because it's like the photographer is usually the one that's on time and it's the model that's usually not like <laughs> having the issue. Yeah. Um, and this model shows up and she's like, uh, Baba Yaga is like, like clearly in love with you. Like you need to understand what's going on here. And Valentina's like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's get started. So the model is dressed in like this weird S&M cowboy situation and she has a gun and she shoots it as part of the photography, but it, the gun goes off really loudly and she faints. We're not really sure what's going on, but the boyfriend takes this model home 
And Valentina decides, hey, let's go to Baba Yaga's house. <laughs> and she brings her camera with her. So we see this house is very big. It's run down, filled with crap. But it does look like it was once very beautiful. Maybe they're trying to make some kind of a parallel with Baba Yaga herself. Baba Yaga is sitting there like a Disney villain in her rocking chair, petting her cat. And Valentina says, "Can I?" it sounds like she had a commercial commercial shoot. She had some jewelry with her. And she says, can I use your home as a backdrop and take some photos? Baba Yaga says, go ahead, go wherever you want. You're definitely going to find some interesting places around this house. Go and take your photos. So Valentina does, and she's wandering around, and she finds a big hole in the floor. And it's not like a hole in the floor. Like if there were a hole in your floor, you would look in and you would see like the next floor, right? It's a big, dark hole in the floor, and Valentina drops a film canister. Yes, children, years ago, there was actual <laughs> film, and it came in canisters, and you would have them and. We would save them, use them for all sorts of purposes. Valentina decides to drop a film canister down into this hole to listen. She does not hear it hit the ground. So very odd. Of course, she doesn't leave. She continues to hang out, take some photos. I guess she can't. She uh, can't pass up this interesting, dilapidated house full of weird items. So Valentina finds a doll that's dressed in leather fetish wear. Okay. It's a so, different kind of Cabbage Patch Kid. I mean, it's wild. <laughs> so and what's funny is that, you know, they would have had to have somebody, like, specially design this outfit. You're not going to, like, find it at the store. Um, the doll, I think, is kind of the size of, like, an American Girl doll. So mm-hmm. not like a Barbie doll, more like an American Girl doll. And Valentina is very – she's attracted to this doll and bothered by it. Like, both of those things at the same time. And so then we see Baba Yaga. She's got, and Mike, maybe you know what this is. She's got something that I think is supposed to be evocative of kind of a Ouija board type of thing, but it's not. It's got some pieces and she's moving it around and Valentina seems to be responding to that. So again, we start to see uh, images of the comic book again, the black and white, and then some still photos. So it starts to get very arty, art house film again. And then Valentina lays down on like a like a bed frame, and it does appear. Oh, probably should have given a content warning for this, but it does appear. <laughs> I forgot about this. Um, it does appear that she's masturbating, but they're also like not really showing that. But like you like you get it that that's what's going on. But they're not showing that, not in the same way that they showed that Valentina having sex with her boyfriend. And even the sex with her boyfriend was like. Yeah, it was panels. implied. Yeah, it's funny. Like I said, the the sexiest parts are Bob. And this is intentional, I'm pretty sure. So Baba Yaga's scenes are much more sensuous. And when there's actually sexual content, it's sort of broken up with these kind of comic book frame uh, interstitials. I assumed that was a censorship thing. But also some of the images are like, you know, erect nipples and stuff. So it's yeah. not really trying to show it's not trying to obscure it really too much like it's very clear you know what's going on um so baba yaga finds valentina uh neither one of them seems embarrassed or anything by what's going on but baba yaga gives valentina the doll so valentina goes home she's developing the photos from the shoot and she sees a photo of the doll but the doll is wearing like a normal like doll dress 
not the S&M wear that she has seen the doll wearing. So a little, it's very quick, you know, this thing. Yeah, I completely missed that until yeah. you, you Yeah, I, I caught it on a second viewing. Now we move on to a new scene where we're seeing um, some protesters. Signs are unfortunately in Italian, so I have no idea what they're protesting. <laughs> but Valentina is a photographer, so she's out in the street photographing them. Whether this is just personal or there's some other reason that she's doing so, I don't know. Whether or not she agrees with what they're protesting is never discussed. Um, so she takes a photo of a man and he drops to the ground. So this is much the same as what happened to the model uh, the day before. Um, so Valentina, again, we go into a dream sequence. She continues to have dreams. She's persecuted by Nazis. And now Baba Yaga and the man from the protest are also in this dream. So Valentina and the man, that later on they call him a hippie. Okay, so he's the protester. They're boxing. They're in a boxing ring. Valentina hits him. And he drops to the ground, and it looks like she kills him, you know. So, and he did die, as, as a matter of fact. The, the man t did, in real life, die as well. So, at this point, Valentina's like, I'm going to just, I'm going to destroy this doll. So, she gets a pair of scissors, and she's coming for this doll. And then... The phone rings and she gets distracted. <laughs> Happens to me all the time. Well, it's from the days of when, like, you, like, your phone rang and, like, you kind of had to answer the phone. Like, it yeah. wasn't like people were going to contact you in some other way. And there was no voicemail. There was none of that. So And like, you couldn't tell rang. who it was, right? You couldn't see who it was. No, either, of course so. not. So, yeah. like, you had to answer it. So yeah. she did have to put down the scissors and, I don't know, I think, uh, a, you know, murder doll, I probably would have continued with what I was doing. Who could it be? They'll call back. Um, all right, so it's Baba Yaga, but Valentina doesn't know that because Baba Yaga hangs up the phone. So she, clearly she knew what she was up to. So Valentina decides to go back to Baba Yaga's house again. <laughs> and um, I do have to say, like, the music at this point in the movie, the music so far pretty forgettable, but there's some really um, beautiful piano music. I think it might be original to the film because it, the theme is used throughout the film. And I'm not sure if it's a famous piece that they just reused or whether it was composed especially for the movie. I probably should have looked into that a little bit more. But it, it is very beautiful and it does make for some beautiful scenes in this decaying home that Baba Yaga is living at. So now we're back at Valentina's apartment slash studio. Two models show up. The, uh, the original model, she's she's white and then a black man. And then here we go again, content warning. Content warning number content three. Content warning. <laughs> um, Valentina gets racist and says, here's what I want from you in this shoot. I want you to act like your ancestors in the jungle. Ooh, my. No, thank you, Valentina. That is not Okay. So once again, showing that these white people think that they are so evolved and so advanced and so progressive, and yet she is completely objectifying her model in a disgusting, disgusting way. So this is an underwear shoot, again. I'm, I'm wondering if part of this is that having, this is 1973, having a white woman and a black man She's in her underwear. He takes his shirt off. I'm wondering if this is uh, con like might be controversial. Unclear to me. But the man does not like the doll. Does not like the doll at all. And he's like, 
<laughs> that doll is not okay. <laughs> um, and he's the, he's the only one that does. It's also not clear which version of the doll they see. So anyway, they're moving on with the shoot. Valentina says, I'm not going to use this camera that I shot two people who immediately fainted. Like, I'm going to use a different camera. So she uses a different camera. <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly the lights go out in the studio. And the female model says, I'm not feeling well. And then she's like, oh, look at my leg. Isn't that weird? This like I look like I was stabbed with something in my leg. It was like a pin prick on her leg. And then Valentina, like, finds a hairpin and puts it back in the doll's hair. But then she doesn't say anything to the model. They're like, oh, no, that's weird. So she's done with that day's work. And then the next thing we see is this other weird commercial shoot that the boyfriend is doing. And it's like a spy movie, but it's a, it's a commercial for laundry detergent. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And, and just to continue and double tap on this. I'm pretty sure it's a person of color who's the quote the the dirt and it's a white guy chasing the dirt. Like so it's gross there even too. Sort of casually it just happens to be that's the way it goes, but yeah. Right. It appears to be like they're like it's a spy movie and I'm chasing the villain and the villain happens to be black and then the detective type person or um James Bond kind of character is white and he throws powder on him and as you're watching it the first time you're like, What the and then you know the the villain like uh like disappears and turns into powder and their their idea is look we th- we threw this on the dirt and wow you're right i didn't really yeah <laughs> i didn't re- yeah. like i was like I, I there was something about it that bothered me and i was like i don't think this is all that great but yeah. now in the retelling yeah um like yeah yeah that's what they that's what mm-hmm. they were saying about that mm-hmm. okay great great okay so not only is the boyfriend not progressive and you could say that he's a sellout he's also just willing to completely buy into harmful stereotypes as well. Okay, so she Valentina is now telling the boyfriend everything about Baba Yaga, and he's like, look, she's just a lesbian and she's into you. <laughs> like this, seriously, like what he says. And she's like, Valentina's like, no, she's a witch. And the boyfriend's like, that's not true. We There's no such thing as witches. We put men on the moon. And he says, and we transplant organs. We can't, there's no such thing as witches. <laughs> you know, so he's completely discounting everything that she's saying and doesn't, he doesn't help her come up with a plan or anything like that. And it, it's at this point that I start to pick on the, pick up on the theme of the idea that the people in the movie are trying to suppress their impulses. So in this case, it would be Valentina being attracted to Baba Yaga. Because she's interacted with her several times when she did not need to. She could have just gotten rid of this situation altogether and said, get away from me. I mean, she literally kicks the boyfriend to the curb whenever she wants to. So why couldn't she do it with Baba Yaga? Yeah, and Valentina seems both passive and sort of aware of what's happening. Because it's from her point of view. But she doesn't seem to have a lot of control over her actions. She goes back to Baba Yaga sort of unprompted in a few cases. Yes, and seems to accept gifts or conversations without consent. She sort of just almost seems passively forced into something. So there's definitely something going on with her agency. And the question, I guess, is, is it really her agency because it's an urge? It's a it's a, an attraction, in which case it, it really is. It's just she's not being honest with herself. Or is it some kind of compulsion that's not – 
her own. Um, I think the film tries to thread the needle between the two, so you don't know. But I, I think you're right. I mean, you absolutely can view this as essentially someone saying, uh, maybe you have different interests and attractions you didn't know you had, and you've been suppressing it all this time, and you're having difficulty facing it. But I also think there's a lot about agency, too, where she seems to have agency in some cases and not others. She seems in many cases to think she's in charge of what's happening, uh, the camera being the example of that. And then she's actually not. It's Baba Yaga who's really in charge of it. Uh, and something like a doll, which I think you could make an, a, a theory as, as to what that is as we get further along, is emblematic of that. A doll being sort of a just like a photograph of someone. It's a it's a proxy of a person that is essentially under Baba Yaga's control. So in, in some ways, it feels like she's becoming Valentina is becoming a doll of Baba Yaga's. So there. So the question is: Is that because she wants to? Or is she being magically compelled? If she's being magically compelled, Baba Yaga's a witch. If it's not, it's just an attraction and her boyfriend is telling her to suck it up. Yeah, and you could also say that her mo- like she's a photographer. She's staging these shoots with these models. They're, they're her dolls. Totally. As well, you know. Yep. In other words, instead of showing it to a middle-class audience of 10 million, You'll show it to 10,000 intellectuals, and not in the service of ecology, but in the service of your own vanity. If you don't use the means that the system provides, what other possibilities have you got? Revolution. Revolution. All right, so Valentina and the boyfriend decide to go and see this German movie, as one does, <laughs> and Valentina's like freaked out by this German art film. It it was pretty is pretty creepy, but as she's sitting there watching this movie, she's scenes from the past few days are going through her head. Her interactions with Baba Yaga, again, is she being compelled or is this an urge that she's trying to suppress? She runs out of the movie, and now she's convinced she's sort of putting together the pieces, and she decides. She says the dolls using my camera. So the doll used my camera when the lights went out. And the model was like, oops, I got stabbed. The doll did that. So she says, I have to develop the film that was in that camera and see what happened. So she does. And she sees these photos. And there's photos of the doll, but the doll's human. It's actually photos of a woman that's dressed in the, in the S&M costume. And then also there's a photo of the doll stabbing the model in the leg. All right, hold on. Hold up. Which is the doll doing? Is she stabbing or is she photographing or is she photographing herself stabbing? Yes. Well, so, okay. Somebody would have been operating the camera or something would have been operating the camera, taking the photos of the doll doing the things. So is that magic? Is that what we're thinking is the camera's running on its own? Well, maybe not the camera running on its own, but something is influencing the camera to take the photos because Valentina was not going to use that camera again. Right. Well, also it was dark. So I don't understand. I, I, if I understand how light works, I don't think you can yes. take photos and in the dark. Valentina says that she's like, those, these, there sh- should not be anything on this film, but there is. Right. So it's gotta be some kind of magical situation where the camera is, t- cause I'm just like, is the doll taking the photos? That's weird. The doll's stabbing people. So the doll's like, maybe just, you know, trying to angle the shot. But I think it makes more sense that the camera just turned on 
or the doll positioned it or somehow something, and yeah. it happened in the dark. But yeah, but yeah, it's taking photos anyway in the dark, so. Right. Well, I mean, you have a doll turning into a human woman. Yeah. So, it's uh, kind anything of... anything goes. Anything can happen. It was the 70s. It was a 70s. In Italy no less. So, you know. In Italy. It's a crazy <laughs> time who can say. You know, that's funny though. The one thing that this movie doesn't have is drug use. Like there's drinking at the party. But nobody's using drugs or really yeah. getting drunk. You'd think you'd see more cocaine in this You'd think point, you'd see yeah. some cocaine in this yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was maybe more 80s. But anyway. Um, all right. Valentina is now unhinged. She's over the edge. The boyfriend is still there. He calls the model's house and they find out that she did die. So once again, Valentina's having these disturbed dreams. But now she is one of the Nazis. And she is part of a firing squad. And she's gun- they're gunning down a naked woman. Baba Yaga is there also sitting in her chair looking on. So at the end of the dream, she's, she's still a Nazi. She's in her studio and she's holding the hairpin again, except it's bloody. So her and- transformation is complete. She's gone from being the victim right. of, let's say, fascism, let's say, the the model complex, photography, whatever, objectification to being the one doing it to other people, essentially. And in some ways, I think, arguing she can no longer, what she said to her boyfriend, she can no longer pretend she's not part of the issue. She's part of the problem because her photography is essentially perpetrating harm, uh, literally and metaphorically, right? So literally because she's been using it in people and i don't know what happened to the rat but people are not doing well when she takes photos and then metaphorically she's doing harm uh, as well so now the the flash this i almost called flashback this dream is really hammering at home that she's the bad guy right but again it does seem as though baba yaga is there is she compelling her right all right so now the doll becomes human again she's a human woman she kisses valentina and she and takes valentina's camera and leaves. Okay. Phone rings again. It's, it's like Bobby a Teddy Yaga. Ruxpin, only sexy. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> so, worse. Bobby Yaga calls Valentina, and she tells her, hey, I got your camera. You got to come over and get it, and don't you bring that boyfriend. So, Valentina does. She goes over there, and she says to Bobby Yaga, you killed my friend. You killed this man. And Baba Yaga says, look, there's forces in the universe that make things happen. We can't fight them. It is arrogant for us to try to do so. And we just have to bend to the will of the universe, whatever that means. So now Baba Yaga is saying, you know, I'm going to, you'll have money and you'll have power and you just obey me and do what I say. Valentina says, no, I don't do what the men in my life want me to do. I'm certainly not going to do what a woman wants me to do which was an interesting thing for her to say. So, but then Baba Yaga says, ha, 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 too bad. Go to the bedroom and wait for me. And Valentina does. So she's there waiting. The doll in human form comes again, takes Valentina to Baba Yaga. They literally chain her up. Now this is getting real, it's getting real freaky deaky. Um, Baba Yaga rips Valentina's clothes off and the doll whips Valentina. Valentina's not saying no or I want to get away. Nothing like that. Um, she doesn't appear to be enjoying it, but she's all, she is all, has also not tried to get away. 
All right, now the boyfriend is looking for Valentina. He surmises that she's at Baba Yaga's and he shows up there. But the gate is locked. He sees the human doll. Her name is Annette, by the way. Sees Annette. He finally breaks in and he sees Valentina's camera. So he's like, okay, I know she's here. And then when Annette comes near him, he like hits her. He like hits her with, I'm not sure what he has. It's like a big stick of some kind. Like he grabbed something. Yeah, it's weird because he grabs like a, literally like a, a branch. club. Yeah. And then he, that's like his best weapon. It's, it's so bizarre because it's not part of like, you, there's so many things in the, in house, the house that he could have yeah. used. And that's not what he has. He has this like club that he found. Right, so he he hits the, he hits the woman. She's a woman at this Annette. point. Annette hits Annette, and then she just like turns back into a doll, and she's in pieces. Yeah, because he knocks her head off, and it's a doll head that falls to the ground. Right. So mm-hmm. Baba Yaga's ups- comes in. She's upset. She's crying. She's picking up the doll pieces, and Valentina has that hairpin again, and she's threatening Baba Yaga with it. And they struggle. They fight only very briefly, though, and then. Remember that big hole, that big pit? Baba Yaga falls into it. Chekhov's pit, yeah. Yeah. So, and then the final scene in the movie is the police show up. Unclear to me who called them, but there is a neighbor there. And now the whole tone of everything is different. There's light. It's not this sort of dark, moody situation anymore. There's a lot of light. It just looks like an old house. And the neighbor says, nobody lives here. There's nobody who lives here. They're going to tear it down. Like, it's condemned. Duh. And then we see the hole in the floor. There's a hole in the floor. Like, one of the cops jumps into it, and Valentina freaks out. And he's just, like, in the basement, which is actually more like a crawl space. And he's like, by the way, there's a doll head down there. That was the other thing. She kicked Annette's head in. And and so he's like, by the way, there's a doll. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the neighbor called because they make a comment of, like, you know, couples in this abandoned house. You know what they're doing. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Know what I mean? So there's a little bit of that where I think she called them because she, according to what she's saying, they were trespassing because there's nobody who lives there. Yeah, I mean, they were, you know, trespassing for sure, which Baba Yaga was as well. And it was kind of funny, like, what are couples, you know? like. Yeah. Meanwhile, both of them are like, you know, they've got their own places. They've kind of like, they didn't, they didn't need to, well, I don't know. I guess if they're into that. Yeah. Um, but so as the film is ending, we see Baba Yaga's cat. The cat is still there. And then we also see this this board and the, the these pieces that she was using throughout the film that she appeared to be controlling Valentina with. And then that that's it. That's the end of the movie. The end. The end. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not really sure what this what the pit was supposed to represent. I don't think I quite got there all the reviews i saw called it the pit to hell and i felt like there was some conversation about hell somewhere in this movie but maybe i dreamed it there's so many dream sequences you start to lose grip on reality as to what's actually happening in the film but what's interesting is when i actually saw the film there's nothing to reinforce that it's just dark there's no demons or whatever it's not implied that baba yaga came from there i think the pit is very much supposed to be a void Right, which is the void of self, right? Sort of the the idea that you lose if you go into the pit, you don't come out because you lose control of yourself. Um, it reminds me of Get Out. If you remember Get Out, uh, where there was the idea you fell in, you were drowning, and and if you were at the bottom, you were not in control of yourself. So I, but I don't know. We don't. There's never any th- explanation. I, I think the pit's like under a rug initially. <laughs> 
and it was kind of covered and she sort of goes oh there's a pit here and you know moves the rug and that's what you now, see. it wasn't there was no it was, there was just nothing. there i thought it, i thought there was like the edge of something i mean there. there was a rug but the rug was had a hole in it where the pit was oh, so there was yeah. no yeah yeah it, it, and it was kind of in the way it was kind of in the middle of the room it was interesting and, yeah, then, and she's like just don't mind the pit <laughs> yeah don't mind just, just you know don't fall in there never mind um, the pit. yeah don't, don't don't worry about that which is kind of interesting because if valentina had fallen into it what would her fate have been if it took out baba yaga what would happen if a human woman fell into it i have a theory oh go ahead simply put i think Baba Yaga's collecting humans as dolls. Right. So if you succumb to Baba Yaga, which is, and she, the, the whole process of this is to break you down, right? To break your yes. independent will. Right. Uh, you become one of her dolls. And maybe if you fall in, you become a doll. I don't know. Um, but because it, it seems like a bad idea to have a pit there. But it, it sort of makes more sense because the fact that doll has a name and is a net and looks like, I mean, the doll's realistic. The face is not just like doll face. It's like, looks like a net, right? I mean, obviously they did that to make it look like the actress, but there's definitely this vibe that Annette was a person. There was more personhood attached to Annette than a typical doll. So it felt to me like that's what they were trying to imply was Annette was a past victim of Baba Yaga's and Valentina could well be the next Annette. So anyway, that was my theory. Right, and then uh, you would think that Annette would have been threatened by Valentina then. Well, maybe she has no control. She has no... She might she's not. She's sort of a zombie doll killer thing. Right, right. And then all, maybe the pit was also something that Baba Yaga threatened people with. Sure, yeah. Do what I say or I'm going to throw you in the pit, you know? Yeah. I don't know. A lot of different themes running through this movie. I think it would be very easy to just miss... Dismiss this movie out of hand as just being some kind of a somebody's wet dream, but but it really does have a lot of themes. And where I came down on it, and I saw a lot of other, or a few other people discussing this film in the same way, there were quite a few people who didn't really seem to understand what it was about and metaphorically threw up their hands, like, I don't really get this movie. But there were a few that agreed with me that it seemed to be saying that lesbian relationships were not okay and that it would lead you into situations that you wouldn't want to be in. You know, that if you were going to enter into a lesbian relationship that you were going to end up being held hostage, that you were being whipped, that this older woman was coercing you into it, that it would not have been something that you chose on your own, you know, all of those things. So I think on the one hand, the movie was trying to be progressive and sexual revolution and all of that. You know, Valentina never has a discussion with the boyfriend about, for instance, birth control or, or anything like that at all. But I think it actually comes out the reverse and actually condemns the exploration of 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 one's own sensuality and one's own you know becoming a sexual being and especially if that included uh lesbianism or other things that are not defined don't want to put labels on what people like to do as consenting adults but it did seem to say that 
it's okay between a man and a woman, but anything outside of that, whether it's multiple people or people of the same gender, like none of that is okay. And it's going to lead you into problems, including like murder, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it's by what it doesn't say, right? So the boyfriend being in the film provides a contrast and he doesn't get the same treatment, right? He just doesn't. So a lot of the things that Valentina is dealing with, she never really applies to him. I mean, they sort of have some conversation, but he's pretty dismissive of her concerns. He certainly doesn't seem particularly concerned about her safety as much as he seem, we think he should be. Um, he, When she does bring up these issues, he he just sort of blows it off. So it's more the contrast. I mean, I, I it, this is one of those films where I feel like as time has gone on, it looks less and less appealing. Uh, I think it was trying to be countercultural and make a statement. And in that time frame probably was more effective because people just accepted a lot of those biases at the time. And now, stripped of that, it's not nearly as effective as it tried to be because now we're looking at it critically. And it frankly... There's a lot of films we've seen that are pretty racist or sexist or misogynistic, depending on what you want to, you know, our perspective. But I feel like almost always those films knew that's what they were doing. This film feels like they actually thought they were being very enlightened and didn't realize uh, that they weren't uh, or as not as enlightened as they they were hoping, unfortunately. So uh, I think, unfortunately, like you said, it comes down on a on a note that it probably didn't necessarily intend. I think they were trying to talk about a lot of these more enlightened ideas of control of self and agency, but in doing so revealed some pretty strong biases. Right. So with that, what is the answer to our big question, which is, is this a horror movie or something else? What do you think, Mike? Oh man, I have to go first. (laughs) I'm going to say it's not horror. I'm going to say it's something else. I think so. I think there is definitely some elements of drama around the loss of self that I get, right? And I I get that that is disturbing. I think there's an animated doll walking around murdering people, which is disturbing. So I'm a little more willing to give it a little bit more of the horror. The problem is it has a big agenda with the comic, with creepax, with fascism, with Nazi dream sequences that really obscures whatever point it was trying to make. If this isn't supposed to be a horror, it takes a long time to get there. If it's supposed to be a sort of psychosexual exploration of self, it take, it's a meandering path. So unfortunately, it doesn't really do anything very well and probably what it was planning to do. Um, so yeah, it's not horror in the sense that it's scary. It's definitely a sort of fairy tale warning to adults to not to young adults to uh, not get in cars with strange women. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like maybe. Maybe that's true. At no point in the movie was did, did I say, ooh, that was scary or feel scared or even feel... There are movies where I do find the imagery disturbing, especially films where they use imagery like... um this like black and white and often you'll see and in this movie they use like some like some scorpions and stuff were in there um where they use stuff like that it's clearly just like shock you know they'll show like time lapse of like a like uh an animal decaying in a forest or something like stuff like that you know it never went that far so i never even got that 
that creeped out that, you know, feeling. I mean, I wanted to know what was going to happen. I wanted to see how it ended. But at no point was I ever concerned for the characters or did I care that they died, nor did I find them sympathetic, any of them, because they were kind of living their sort of holier-than-thou, I'm-an-artiste uh, life. and But they were living it sort of like above, you know, like the man that had died, they're like, oh, you know, that hippie died. And it's kind of, kind of dismissive in a way. And it was like, well, he at least was taking a stand about something. You know, what are you taking a stand about? Well, look, I, I, and I think the producer knows this. I mean, the, the fact that he puts Valentina in a boxing match with the guy in the dream says something. I don't know what, but it puts them in opposition. So I feel like they, they knew some of this was in, in themes in the movie. They just didn't pull it off in a way that w- came down strongly one way or the other. And again, outside of the seven, I mean, here's the other thing too. If you are uncomfortable about sexuality, this could be horrifying. It's just not to us. It really doesn't work. And I, maybe in the 73, this was horrifying, but it's not now. It just doesn't hold up. Right. Yeah, I guess maybe the idea that um, there could be this older woman, you know, who comes along and, and coerces you into things, which, by the way, there are no two women in the film that have sex. It is only Valentina and the boyfriend one time. Right. That's it. The rest of it, and then Valentina, or Valentina with herself. Right. And allegedly. this is the point I keep making about how the film unintentionally sets up perils. I don't think it's set out to do by what it do, how it doesn't contrast things. And one of them is the sort of heterosexual norms it reinforces. So it's just, it's a, it is definitely interesting uh, because I feel like there's biases that probably they didn't realize was on film. They're trying to be countercultural, and then you're like, you're actually not that countercultural, guys. No, because in the end, the boyfriend shows up and saves her. I mean, she fights with Baba Yaga and and it does end up putting Baba Yaga into the pit. But that was only after he showed up and through no small effort, got into the house and attacked the doll. It's surprising. The ending is surprisingly conventional. Yes, that's what that's what I'm saying is that you're saying there, you know, heteronormative um, behaviors were certainly reinforced. Save the princess. Right. You know, all of that for sure. Like, Valentina doesn't really save herself right. from this. It all boils down to this mysterious lady who would like to introduce you to the delights of sapphic love. So what? You give her a lovely curtsy and you say, many thanks, but I'd much rather make love with my friend Arno. Yeah, I like that. You don't understand anything. There's something different about Baba Yaga. It's as if she came from some other world. Let's move on to some ratings, and that is how many knives, how many glasses of wine, and how many screams we're going to give this film between zero and five. So we'll start with knives, and that includes what was the body count? How scary was this movie? Was it gory? Or did it live up to its title? So between zero and five knives, what do you think, Mike? How many are you going to give it? So there's people die. There's definitely creepy Annette who comes to life and is doing all kinds of magical multitasking in her murders. Um, there's the creepy camera, which is disturbing because you're using a camera and you don't know you're killing people. I think once Valentina figures it out. So I'm not going to dismiss it entirely. You know, sometimes I'm like, ah, the film is like not really 
murdering a lot of people. Uh, I'll give it a little credit, but not a lot. I'll give it one and a half knives. Wow, really? One and a half knives? That's low, for yeah. like from my perspective, because it lived up to its title. I, yeah, I guess in terms of body count, I mean, there were four deaths, including Baba Yaga. Oh, yeah. I mean, is she dead? I'm well. I'm see. That's I'm gonna assume. I'm gonna I'm gonna count it though, because they that's where they seem to. The movie did not end on a very ambiguous tone. It did end with Babiaga's gone. The whole tenor of the situation changed. I'm gonna give it a three. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a three. Even though I said it really wasn't scary. I know. I'm like, like what happened? What, what is going on? Um, Are you under the influence of Baba Yaga? <laughs> uh, well, who knows? Like, I don't know. All right. So how many glasses of wine? And this represents how fun it was for us to watch. Did it have any unique moments? Between uh, zero and five glasses of wine, what are you going to give it? Uh, this, I'm having a tough time with this one. All right, look. So I hate flashbacks and dream sequences. With the th- hatred of a thousand sons, I hate them. Hate them. Wait a I minute, am... wait a minute, wait a minute. With the fire of a thousand suns. What did I say? The hatred of a thousand suns. Oh. I, with the heat, I think I, it's somewhere in there. The, the heat. heat, okay. The heat of a thousand. Um, yes, I, so all that. I hate it, heat, <laughs> hatred, and flames, and solar rage. Flames. <laughs> flames coming, coming out of my, out head. Of my head. I, uh, I really don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, this film is like 50% dream sequences. They are very distracting, and the, and then there's a comic sequence thing on top of that. So we have two different sort of alternate narrative approaches that piss me off. Um, but it's undeniably different. It, undeniably. Like, someone is trying to do a thing. Uh, frankly, it's probably more creep packs than the pr- producer, because as far as I'm concerned, this, this is probably too close to the comic is the impression I've gotten, and it didn't make for a great film. So I, I don't want to be too extremely against its uniqueness. I just, it didn't work for me. So it, it comes in at two and a half. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't have the same problem with dream sequences. And I do appreciate the artistry of it and the cinematography of it in thinking about how they put that together. And they could have leaned more heavily on the comic book aspect and did not do so. I see your point about how they were kind of mixing mediums here. But I think that's also something that appeals to me. So having the still photographs, some of them were just, some of them were black and white. Some of them were very grainy, noir. And then you had the interspersed with the with the comic books and putting those all together in this kind of tapestry. I, I think that kind of thing just visually I find a little more interesting to watch versus just watching, you know, you're just watching a regular color film, um, which may have been interesting and beautiful in some scenes, even though some of them included what you might consider to be dilapidated or ugly things like Baba Yaga's house or the rundown part of the city that they were filming in or even the protest, you know, things that we might normally look away from. But sometimes on film, those things become more interesting and beautiful to look at in that way in the hands of the right photographer or cinematographer. Exceptionally unique in more ways than one. So 
you know, honestly, on the second viewing, it really grew on me. So I'm I'm going to give it another three for glasses of wine. All right, so we'll move on to Screams. And Screams are, that's our overall rating. So what did we think of the movie? And this is also between zero and five. Uh, what do you think? Mike, you've been rating it pretty low so far. Uh, we're going to say this again. Knives and glasses of wine and Screams are not, Screams are, don't have to be an average of knives and glasses of wine, right? So at least that's how I view it. So like I can give a rating low in different pieces and, and I could still think the film overall is 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 OK, even if it wasn't necessarily entertaining. So my perspective was balancing some really gross racism that it, I don't think the producers knew they had that they ended up just putting on display and just pantsing themselves. The attempts at counterculturalism that, frankly, are a little quaint probably now in some ways because they're just either they're not as relevant or they're just not as clever as they thought it was. The fact that you've got essentially what seems like rich, I don't know, 20 somethings essentially judging the world and having these topics. And frankly, there's probably bias from our side. We're older than the, the witch um, and being a little bit like, all right, what's wrong with her? Uh, I think you add all that up. I appreciate the effort though. Uh, I appreciate the, the, We've now seen 19 other films that are not as unique as this. And there was a lot of work to try to do something very different. And it is different. I don't know if it set out to achieve all its goals, but it was different. So I'll give it a three for that reason. Yeah. And here's the thing is I think sometimes with art, you definitely have to take a big swing. You know, even if you think you might miss. I don't think that this misses. I think that we are probably misunderstanding some of the relevance of the context of what was going on in 1973 Milan. So we're missing something there. There's probably somebody listening who's like, Screaming right now, saying if we only knew. The same way sometimes I listen to like young kids discussing 80s movies, they do not understand what's going on because they did not live through the 80s. You know, so certainly there can be that aspect of it that we are just completely missing things. But it absolutely seemed to me to be a lot, you know, several elitist people trying to act like they are of the people when really they're not because they're very talented and living on a different level. And then it just so happens that an otherworldly supernatural being enters their lives and makes them start to think about things differently. And whether Valentina was sexually attracted to Baba Yaga and then was upset about it, that could be another thing too with this movie is that maybe what we're seeing, maybe the film is an unreliable witness. Maybe the things did not occur in that way. And this was Valentina's mind trying to reconcile the idea that she was attracted to a woman. And so she was inventing these other things. Like we really couldn't say what was, what was the true point of the movie. But I have to say it was, it was much more enjoyable on subsequent viewings than it was on a first viewing. 
And I think if you give it time and give it attention and you can really appreciate the photography, the cinematography, the the, the acting, much better acting than we have seen in most of the movies so far. These are all very accomplished actors and actresses. It was a little bit over the top with the we're going to we're going to try to be artsy. Like sometimes you can tell when somebody's trying. When they're yeah. trying to be artsy, they're trying to be different. There were points when I felt that, but most of it felt organic. And I'm rating this movie too in the spectrum of not only the 19 other movies that we've seen, but what I'm anticipating the next <laughs> the next 30 are going to be uh-huh. and that I don't know that I'm ever going to give out a 5. So, but I think here I'm going to give it a four. Wow. Just because I don't know that it's going to come around again. <laughs> so I at least have to give it, give out a four at least once. That's high. Yeah. It's pretty high. Like I said, it's not, it's not something that you're like, oh, let me, you know, rewatch that movie that like, that was fun, you know, but one of my main barometers of a movie is if I watch it a second time and I pull something new out of it, mm-hmm. which I certainly did. And if I watched it a third time, which I just haven't done just simply because I have life, I'm sure I would pull other things out of it as well. That's what I think makes makes good art and a good film is if you uh, come away changed and if you come away with a different perspective on it every time you watch it. All right, let's move on to the character that you created, Mike, to accompany this movie that is for use in tabletop role-playing games. So tell me, I'm going to not even, you have two choices as to what you did here. So which way did you go? Who's the character? It's the cat. No, no. The cat. I actually cheated and uh, I, because I, the Baba Yaga and Annette are both very interesting. So, and I, I don't feel separating them serves anybody well. So I actually put them both in. Baba Yaga, so I'm a little biased. But there are two characters who are extremely powerful in this sort of set of villains at, to date. And Baba Yaga is one of them. Actually three, but she's one of the most powerful. She sort of has this magnetic pull that I think makes her a very powerful, dangerous villain because she's subtle but it's almost irresistible in some ways. So I really wanted to give her more. Frankly, when you see the movie, it's like, well, she sort of turns into this monster you push into a pit. And she deserves better. So she definitely, everything I said, my theory of how the movie works is in is in this description where she is uh, someone who uh, is looking for souls to convert into dolls. That's what she does. And she has sort of this doll army, Annette being the most recent but not the last. And she uses them to poison prey and essentially destroying everyone her prey loves, I should say, so that they are vulnerable to her charms and then eventually become under her thrall. That's the idea. So where do her stats fall out here? Where where is she strong? Where is she weak? Yeah, so she's she's kind of she's sort of the witch slash warlock. Uh, archetype which means high in charisma one of the few villains that's probably high in charisma we don't get that many 
And obviously, and that's actually for Warlocks, that's the spellcasting requirement is charisma. And then, you know, she's not particularly strong. She's not particularly fast, um, but she's ancient. So her constitution is high and her wisdom is high and she's not stupid, but she's definitely charismatic. That's her highest power, but she's, she's a powerful witch. So she's, she's, she is for high level adventurers for sure to face. So where, I mean, you know, you have a long history with Baba Yaga actually. So where do you envision that she could be used? What kind of adventures might she be plugged into? Yeah, so, I mean, this Baba Yaga is very different from the one that's normally found in the woods, right? Normally you have a hut. Um, what's nice about the Baba Yaga of mythology, and she's been in Dungeons & Dragons and other games quite a bit, is uh, she's mobile. She has this sort of hut. She First of all, she can pull herself along on her mortar and pestle, and she uh, or she can move in her hut. So you take your pick, but the reality is she can get around and can therefore be inserted out in the woods, right? Uh, this is not that Baba Yaga, and I don't think she should be. I think she's very much a creature of society who uh, inserts herself into crumbling old mansions and then uses them essentially to go after her prey. So she's more urban than you would normally see um, and relies on that, right? She's relying on people that she can manipulate um, and in some cases uh, a group of young folks that she's hoping she can easily separate from there are family members, friends, whoever you want to say that she could uh, either eliminate or influence. So, yeah, she's definitely somebody who you'll find in highly d- densely populated areas. And it kind of reminded me a little bit of the vampire arch- archetype um, in the movie because she was this impossibly glamorous, beautiful. They kept talking about her as an older woman, but she's still, you know, very beautiful, blonde. She, she spoke English in the movie. Actually, the rest of the characters are dubbed. They're presumably speaking Italian. And she's she's the one that speaks English and she drives this um, older car. She, I mean, she actually seems like old Hollywood. Yeah. It's a very interesting, I think, take on Baba Yaga, which I think previously we kind of thought of like a sort of like, an, like a very earthy, earth witch, you know, type of, of character. Yeah, she's sort of a high society kind of gal <laughs> and i think that's that's great because it makes her different so she's sort of a, a noble woman with a secret and uh, i think that makes her great she's a little bit of like elizabeth bathory type of character mm. although a little more subtle than that but the concept is there right which is she's potentially even keeping her youth we don't know um because she's looking for these young victims all right, Baba Yaga has got with the times. All right, so where can people find this character so that they can play it in their games at home? We're releasing it in two different ways. It's on patreon.com slash T-A-L-I-E-N. That's my Patreon. Uh, we re- we will release each one of these villains as the podcast releases for free. That's part of our agreement from patrons who uh, support us. And also, too, it's a great way to advertise uh, the character. So you'll get that. But that's not all the details. So, for example, Annette has statistics. I didn't even mention that. But Annette is in there as well. And she is a shape-shifting doll with a poison pin. And she's sort of an assassin. So uh, Annette is in the drive through RPG version. So we are collecting all these characters in a supplement for Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition called 5e foes gothic villains and that's actually a companion book to our previously released book 5e rpg gothic adventures so gothic villains fits right in with gothic adventures it's sort of a monster book that accompanies the the setting book 
and it has a lot more details, including using hairpins as weapons, shape-shifting dolls like Annette, and sort of the lair that Baba Yaga's in. And it also puts Baba Yaga in context of sort of some of the other villains that you might be able to use along with her. So that will be available on Drive Through RPG for sale. So uh, it will also be uh, available to all of our patrons as part of their patronage. Um, it'll be included as well. So our patrons get access to it early, but it will also be available for sale on Drive Through RPG. But certainly Baba Yaga herself will make her de- debut at patreon.com slash T-A-L-I-E-N. And what about the adventures that you wrote in the long, long ago? I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to even remember what year those were. I can only remember the name of one of them. It was called The Dancing Hut. Are yeah. those still available somewhere? Because those feature Baba Yaga as well. So yeah. if someone's interested in that character. Now, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I, it's funny because if you ask me, uh, the first one was actually called Czar Rising. Uh, and the second, the sequel was The Dancing Hut. And that um, the two of them were based on a lot of research I did on Russian folklore. And Baba Yaga features prominently in both of them. So um, they are they were for Dungeons & Dragons 3.5 edition. And they are completely out of print. But I do have plans to bring them back for 5th edition. So that's in the works. Uh, it is something that's... It, it'll be a very different Baba Yaga. But it is something we're hoping to do in the future. So unfortunately, though, they're really hard to find. Um, because they are they're over 20 years old. So I, which is disturbing for me to say, but, um, <laughs> they are, uh, they are out there. If you look me up, you can probably find them in print on Amazon, but on drive through RPG, you won't be able to find them, but you can actually find them on print. They're probably not cheap, but you could pick them up on Amazon. I hope to re-release them under our Malintel, uh, imprint on drive through RPG. So stay tuned for that. Right. And I will say that if it is something that you are interested in, certainly get in touch with us. And we will see what we can do if you need that itch scratched before Mike can get around to re-releasing anything. Um, I will put all the links to everything in the show notes that you can find all of the things that we discussed, plus more information as we find it about this movie, about Kiss Me, Kill Me. I think in in most places it is referred to as Baba Yaga from 1973. And so I think that that will do it. This has been quite a long episode already, but that will do it for episode 20 of 50 Date Night Screams. Anything else to add, Mike? Yes. First of all, you're gorgeous. So don't let anybody tell you (laughs) just because (laughs) 40-year-olds are witches. So whatever. But that is uh, maybe you are a witch. That's I don't know. So I'm sexy. like a, you know if the the forty year old is like so. Oh my gosh, she's so old. Uh, you know, it's like oh my god, like at fifty you're like a hag. But you know, right. I do sometimes wonder about like I don't really remember what I thought when I was a twenty something. Oh, they I think don't, that. I don't really <laughs> remember thinking of older people though in a detrimental way. I really don't. Look, I, when I was twenty five, I would not have wanted to date a forty year old. Um, I, I, I think that that's probably true, but at the same time, I don't think that I was ever saying, oh my God, you know, these old people, as a matter of fact, I think about this a lot when I was at the original Lollapalooza, I remember going to the bathroom and it's a whole day show, right? So you're, you're paying attention to the shows that you really are interested in. And then when an act is on that, you're maybe not quite as interested in, um, you go to the bathroom. So I had gone to the bathroom right after Susie Sue's set. And I'll never, it, this has become a core memory now. Some woman in the bathroom 
and I was legit like 18 years old, okay? Some other, you know, very young woman in the bathroom said that she was very close to the front of the stage, and this was what was then Pine Knob um, outside of Detroit, and she was complaining and saying how old Susie Sue looked. And I was like wounded to my soul because here was this amazing artist. I, can't, I to this day I can't even believe like I like I got to see her, you know, in what I would have considered like she was like still in her prime, you know, clearly in 1991. And this woman was saying, oh, she was old, and I could see her wrinkles on her face and stuff like that. And I was scandalized and horrified that somebody would talk about Susie Sue in that way. And by the way, Susie Sue is touring right now, still out there kicking ass. And so to all of the women that are out there kicking ass over the age of 25, I see you, I hear you, I am you, keep on going. All right. On that note, I got to get a rant in every time, I think. Okay, so that'll do it for episode 20 of 50 Date Night Screams. For real this time, Kiss Me, Kill Me, Baba Yaga from 1973. All right, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to 50 Date Night Screams. Be sure to check the show notes to learn where you can watch this movie for free. The quality isn't always the best when streaming, so we've also included a link to where you can purchase it. You can also get much more information, including the characters from this and all the 50 Date Night Screams episodes at betrayon.com slash Italian. Until next time, don't stop screaming. 50 Date Night Screams is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by Amber and Mike Tresca. 